We are uh, going through, again, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be turning there. We are in Matthew 17, if you can believe it. Matthew 17. Uh, Jesus has been uh, being revealed, of course, as I said before, as the King of Kings. And he was rejected. And then he began to be more of a prophet of prophets. And he is revealing to his disciples, training his disciples, truth that they need so that uh, they can live effectively while he is, uh, after he has died and been buried and resurrected from the dead and gone to be with the Father, now how are we to live? And he's training his disciples and he telling them truth, right? But uh, like everybody else, they are forgetful and we forget. And also uh, we need encouragement, especially we want to follow Jesus Christ from time to time, Jesus has to encourage us because we so easily can get discouraged, right? especially as we see the world around us. And he told it, I mean, he knows human beings. And of course, way back in Deuteronomy 4, if you're going to be turning there, in Deuteronomy 4, after, you know, he had delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. And he, they had built a tabernacle and so forth. And then the law had to be given again in Deuteronomy chapter 4. All of Deuteronomy, actually. But in Deuteronomy 4, I want you to look at this. Because this, this speaks of all, really, all human beings. All of us. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is by way of introduction so that we can get to Matthew 17. But look at what he says now in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform. The law. All the rules and regulations and all what God had done. So they would say in fellowship with God. Right, the Mosaic law. I am teaching you to, uh, to perform in order that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. He's giving you. You shall not add to the words which I am commanding you, nor take away from it. That you may keep the commandments of, uh, of the Lord, your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the law, your God, are alive today. Every one of you. See, I have taught you the statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statues and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever he, we call on him? Or what great nation is there that his statues and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today. Only, here it is, look at verse 9, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget 
the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Your grandsons. That you forget the things that you have seen. I don't know about you, but God has worked in my life in many ways. And I have seen him at work. And yet, so quickly I forget. Something goes wrong in my life and I'm out of this and I'm yelling and screaming and trying to, like, what? Hey, Ruben, don't you remember? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we all forget even the things that we have seen God do. We're typical human beings. Human beings. And then he said, well, what's going to help us not, not forget? Not Did you see the last part? Did you see the last part? Tell those things to your sons Tell and your grandsons. To your sons and your grandsons. Keep testifying of what you have experienced, what you have seen. what you have seen. Pass it on to the next generation and the generation after that. Generation after that. So that you don't forget. So that you don't forget. Right? The problem of forgetfulness. Problem of forgetfulness. Especially of the things of God. Especially of the things of God. So when we forget, then problems come. When we forget, then problems come. Then we forget about the power of the gospel to guide us. The gospel and all that God is doing has done. We forget about it. And we start getting worried and anxious, if not angry. And if that doesn't work, depressed and oh. Depressed and oh. We start acting in ungodly ways so that we can get our way what the thing we think is best and we forget about the Lord. In Matthew 17, we get to the point where Jesus reveals himself and encourages his disciples. But the, before 17, in, in, in uh, Matthew 16, uh, at the end of the chapter, Jesus, Jesus, Continues to counsel against, counsel against natural tendencies. Remember natural we talked about the natural tendencies the last time we were in Matthew? We begin to um, have the tendency to try to save ourselves instead of giving ourselves away. Oh, no. What about me? I'm not getting what I want. Me, 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 me. And we forget we are here to give of ourselves. Give of ourselves. Right? He who has found his life will lose it. But he who gives up his life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, will find it. But we have this natural tendency to focus on self and self and self and self and me, 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 me. Right? Right? That's one tendency. Another tendency is we value material goods way up here and the spiritual things down here. That's a natural tendency. You know, we begin to value things and fight about things and focus on things and be worried about things and never mind the spiritual needs of other people or our own needs, right? So we have to have the latest fashion. We have to have the latest, we have to have the latest this, the latest that. 
And if I don't have it, well, why don't I have it when they have it over there and they have it over there? Look at Facebook. Oh, they're always happy and I'm not. <laughs> and away we go. I mean, we all do it, right? We all do it. But that's another tendency. But that's another valuing the material versus valuing the soul. Valuing the soul. Valuing the soul. We just had a funeral today. We just had a funeral today. Here. Here. And death has a way of death has a way of bringing what really really matters to the surface. When a person is gone, when a person is all their material goods mean nothing. 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 But what matters? Where was their soul? The human relationship that was built if they were there. And what kind of relationship was this? Were they good? Were they God honoring? Were they God honoring? Oh, that we could go back and relive that life. No, it's gone. But our human tendency, we start valuing the material versus the soul. We, here's another tendency. Here's another tendency. It goes along with the material. We have the tendency, the tendency to focus on the just the temporary, just the temporary, just to hear it now and not have the motivation of eternity. We, we all humans do that. What's temporary? What's here and now? Instead of how is it going to reflect the eternal love of God? That which really, really matters for eternity. No, Esther. We have those tendencies. We have those tendencies. Um, is this not the case? Is this not the case? Is this not the way we live most of the time? Even though we want to do the differently, we want to live for the soul, for the temp, for the eternal, for the permanent. By the time we know it, we go through our natural tendencies. And then another tendency, as I've already mentioned, is that we forget. We forget the great things that God has done in our lives. We tend to forget uh, the good things we've experienced of him. So God understands that. God understands that. And if you are really wanting to follow God, if in your heart there's been moments of, yes, I, man, I want to live for the gospel. Yes, I want to live for Jesus. He is so good. He is so good. Then, from time to time, from time to time, the Lord will give you encouragement. The Lord will give you encouragement. Profound, intense Profound, encouragement. Intense encouragement. But those moments of encouragement, we need to um, remember them. Remember and share them. And share them. Because that's what's going to keep it, keep the memory there in your own mind and, and your your fresh, your ongoing encouragement to live for the Lord. To live for the Lord. And so right now I'm going to share something with you. About I've said this before, either in groups, small groups, or maybe from up here. I'm not. I'm not sure. But I remember I was uh, a student at uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, and uh, I would pray in the mornings, and in the evenings, and I was studying, studying, studying. I was single at that point, and I had a lot of time, so. I just would sing sometimes, and I lived in a little apartment that had two floors, one room at the bottom with a bathroom, and then stairs on the outside to another little room up on top. 
And as, and as I walked up to the, sec, to the second room, uh, it went above the roof line. Uh, and then I entered the door of the second room. Well, I could go from my step onto the roof. Just step on it, get on the roof. And every once in a while at night, I would do that. I would go out and uh, the apartment oversaw a lake, White Rock Lake in Dallas. And I would be up there and I would be praying. And one night, the Lord's presence came. And it was overwhelming. It was like I was in another world. And it was mysterious. I can't explain it. But I felt his presence. But I felt his presence. I could hardly move. It was so overwhelming. It was so overwhelming. And I knew it was the Lord. And I knew it was the Lord. And before I know it, well, the moment was gone. The moment was gone. But I was so energized by that. I was so like, wow, this is God was here. God was here. And so, you know, time went on. And so, you know, time went on. And then throughout those moments or most life, there were some deep, profound heartaches. Profound heartaches. Profound heartaches. And my memory would go back to that moment when God showed up. When God showed up. It was powerful. And he has kept me going through many, many years, through many, many heartaches, because the presence of God is so wonderful that we can go through just about anything. That's the truth. And I experienced that. And I want to keep sharing that moments like that. There's other times like that. I wish it was all the time, but it's not. Experiencing God doesn't happen all the time to me. I wish it did. I wish I was more spiritual <laughs> so that I would experience that more often. I don't. But that. And so if you have moments like that yourself, you have had moments like that, share them. Share them. Um, because that's what's going to help you stay remembering the work of God in your life. So here in Matthew 17, we have the disciples that Jesus continues to train. And he had just told them in, in uh, Matthew 16, as I said, he has just been tending them. Here's some human tendencies and you're going to be watching out for these because I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again from the dead and I'm going to go to my father. And now you're going to continue living this life while I... In between the time that I'm going to my father and I return the second coming of Christ. How are we to live? Right? And he tries to address this tendency of forgetfulness. But he's going to encourage his disciples. And he encourages his disciples. Three of them. Apparently there was like a, you know, he had 12 disciples, right? And apparently within those 12 disciples, there was an inner circle. Peter, James, and John. Peter and in several places, he names them those three. So apparently there was this inner circle. And I mean, he had just told them in, in uh, Matthew 16, they had come to realize that he is Messiah. Right. He's the promised one. Remember who do people say that I am. Some people say Elijah, some John the Baptist, some other prophet. Well, who do you say that I am? Thou art the, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And not, you're you not just the Messiah. Messiah. You are God himself. And they come to that realization in Matthew 16. And then he tells them, 
that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer, basically die. But that he's going to rise again from the dead. He told them that. But like regular human beings, he's like, went over their heads. Went over their heads. Like, what? And then Peter tried, he rebuked him. <laughs> Peter goes and rebukes Jesus. That'll never happen under my watch. And of course, Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for our sins. So then Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? He calls him that. And so Jesus has been telling them, but they really wanted to follow God. They really wanted to follow the Lord Jesus. And as I said, when if you want to follow uh, Christ... And he, you, you really want to, not because, because you've come to know more about him and you know more about him, then there's going to be moments that Jesus is going to give you extra encouragement. He's going to give you a sense of himself. His very presence. And that's what we find here now in Matthew 17. In Matthew 17, the first 13 verses, Jesus encourages this inner circle of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. And that's what we have here. But look at what happens. Let me read the passage, Matthew 17, starting in verse 1. Matthew 17, starting in verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up. On a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them, with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at the, their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was, has spoken to them about John the Baptist. A number of things, I mean, right off the bat. The disciples again missed the fact that Jesus told them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die. Went over their heads. And then notice, what do they focus on? John the Baptist? John the Baptist? They totally missed what Jesus told them. Isn't that you and me? Is that not you and me? We read the scriptures. What are you saying, God? What are you saying, God? 
We missed what it's just right there. It's just right there. They missed it. And you know, in a way, it's encouraging. In a way, it's encouraging. Because sometimes you know, I feel pretty dumb. I read the scripture and I don't understand. I read the scripture and I don't understand. Jesus was there present, telling them, and he went over their head. So I, I don't feel as dumb. So I went to go back. Okay, let me let me look at the detail. Let me meditate. God help me. Holy Spirit help me because you know I'm kind of dumb. Spiritually dumb. Right, we can be intellectually really good with a lot of intellect up here, but spiritually, what was that? What was that? So that's what we have here. That's what we have here. Now Jesus revealed Himself to be God's chosen one. God's chosen right, and they knew it too. But because of that, we are to live in obedience to Jesus. Right, because He revealed Himself to be the Son of God, to be the Messiah, to be the Messiah. So we are to live in obedience to him. Many of us have known this truth, but it's always, always good to go it's back. It's beneficial to go back, go over it again. And so what we find in the first four verses of Matthew 17, the unveiling of Jesus' glory, of his power. You know, when Jesus came, he had to veil the glory of God because he would consume mere humans. And he took on flesh and, and veiled the glory of God so that he wouldn't consume us. In fact, we know from Christmas that what? God became a baby in utter humility. Humility. To humble himself and cover the glory because he would burn us on the spot. He became a baby so that we would not be threatened by him. So here we, we there's a little uncovering of the glory of Jesus, of the power of Jesus, the first four verses. And then there is a terrifying divine seal. The voice of God himself, of God the Father, is terrifying for them. And then we go back to the present realities in this life, right? So we have this realities of the divine, the supernatural, the transcendent, the spiritual. At the same time, we live in this world, the physical, the material. And there has to be this reality of both there. It can't be one or only the other. No, it's both. Both ends. And that's an ongoing work that we have to do to live that way. It's an ongoing work. I still have to wrestle, right? We still have to do with the physical. We have cows. And guess what? They poop a lot. And we have to deal with it. Oh, wait a minute. Even poop can be fertilizer. Oh, what do we want that? Well, maybe we can you know, grow a garden and feed other people. And show the love of God. Uh, both realities. Right? And we have to deal with both in life. Both of them in life. So uh, let's go back then to some of the details of what's happening here. I want you to note uh, the uh, Greek sometimes has what's called a historical present. And those historical presents are there so to kind of make it vivid, 
uh, like, wow, you are there. So here in verse 1, there's two historical presents. And it kind of reads something like this. Six days later, Jesus is taking with him Peter and James and John, his brother. And he's letting them, he's leading them up to a mountain by themselves. That's the sense. But here they're uh, translated past tense. But in the Greek, it's a present. But it's just a kind of like, hey, this is happening right now. Kind of bringing you up to date or right place if you were there. And I want you to know, this is, I think, where we get a mountaintop experience. <laughs> he took them up to the mountain, a very high mountain. And he took uh, Peter, James, and John. And as I said, I think there was this inner, inner group. And, and by the way, every time this, this group is mentioned, Peter is the first one. So in some sense, Peter was the first leader uh, of the disciples, right? Uh, we understand uh, as people that who study the scriptures that Peter wasn't the first pope. But he was a leader, the leader, uh, at least initially. Uh, he was especially the leader among the Hebrews, the Israelites. Uh, and then Paul became the leader to the Gentiles, right? But here we have uh, Peter, uh, James, and John, his brother. So James and John were brothers. And Jesus took them to this, to this high mountain by themselves. In the sense there is this. He took them kind of secretly. Kind of hidden because he was going to show to them his power, right? The glory of who he is because he was going to encourage them. Remember, he had just told them in John, uh, in Matthew 16, that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer. He was going to get killed, right? Even though he's Messiah, even though he, he is God himself, he was going to suffer and die and die. And he says, you know, you got to be living for me, living for the eternal. So I, he's going to give them a special encouragement. So he takes Peter, James, and John. So he takes Peter, James, and John. And he was transfigured before them. Transfigured before them. The Greek word there is metamorphosed. Like when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. The caterpillar is metamorphed. Use the very same material, but changes into a butterfly. Totally, totally different. So here the word is, he was metamorphed. He was transfigured. He was transfigured. Before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. So you have to kind of sit there. What was that like? Like, imagine. Imagine. Takes a lot of imagination. But what if my eyes and my face all of a sudden just became super bright? And all my clothes were so light, so lit up like light that you had to go like, ah, just coming from me. What would you think? I mean, if that happened in front of me, I'd probably pee my pants. I mean, whoa! That's what happened. He was transfigured before them. Um, and this reminds me, and this reminds me many times in the Old Testament when God appeared, it was just overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. Daniel chapter 7, uh, when the Ancient of Days uh, is there sitting on the throne and the Son of Man, one of the Son of Man appears and he's in the clouds and, and all this is like uh, just really, really uh, amazing, right? Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through 14. Um, so 
this is what happened. And then, and then, if that wasn't enough, now look who appears with him. It says, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Moses was at least 1,400 years before Jesus. 1,400 years. And here he appears talking with Jesus. What's the point? He's alive. He's alive. When we stop breathing, that's not the end of life. Moses and Elijah... And Elijah, two of the most powerful, the most prophets, powerful in the Old Testament. prophets in the Old Testament were talking with Jesus. We're okay, with go Jesus. back to the picture. Okay, go back right. to the picture. Here's Jesus, mere Jesus, Here's Jesus regular Jesus. human being. Regular but then all of a sudden, being. boom! Boom! <laughs> his face like the sun. And his clothing like light shining. Light shining. That enough is like... What in the world? And then Moses and Elijah show up, talking to him. Talking to him. I mean, wow. So now, so now, uh, Peter speaks up. Oh, Peter. Oh, Peter. <laughs> I think Peter was so nervous. He was just like, ah, what are you doing? He just opens his mouth. Typical Peter. Right? And what, what does Peter say? Man, God, it's good to be here. Oh, oh, it's good to be here. And then, I'll build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Where are the tabernacles? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle signified, listen. The tabernacle signified the presence of God and the means by which to have fellowship with God. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was built in such a way that it represented the absolute holiness of God. But you want to approach God and connect with God, you better bring a sacrifice. No sacrifice, no connection with God. And you better be absolutely open and honest about your sins. If you want to have fellowship with God. If you want to have fellowship with and God. the tabernacle represents the very presence of God and the way to have fellowship with God. And the way to have fellowship with God. Right. And this is why it's very important, for instance, in John 1, John chapter 1, uh, when, uh, when John, the gospel writer, is talking about Jesus taking on flesh. First verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He created everything. This is, this is the Word, right? And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what the word in Greek is for dwelt? Tabernacled. Tabernacled. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. He fellowshiped with us. So when Peter says, hey, I'll build three tabernacles. What Peter was saying, 
This is so awesome. I don't want this to end. I want it to keep on going and going. I'll build three tabernacles. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. The experience was just amazing. Right? Dazzling, dizzying, if you can imagine. And Peter didn't want it to end. And Peter didn't want it to end. It's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles. If you wish, I'll make three one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. One for Moses, one for Elijah. And and Peter was Peter again missing again missing the whole purpose of the revelation. The whole purpose of the revelation. The whole purpose of the revelation is so that Peter would be encouraged to live out. Listen, to live live out the truth of the gospel. In spite of what was coming, what was coming, what was coming, Jesus was going to be betrayed and crucified, killed. That's what was coming. And you and I are going to face some things in life that we might say, Why, God? Why? We don't understand. That's right. Many times in life we will not understand. Many times in life we will not understand. But we need to keep trusting, but we need to keep trusting. living for him, living staying, for godly. staying godly, staying ethical in all our dealings. Even when the enemy is getting away with murder, when somebody is so lying and getting their way, I don't have to behave like them. I don't have to be ungodly because Jesus knows what he's doing. I don't. I don't. I don't. That's what was coming. That's what was coming. So Jesus, I'm going to give you some encouragement of who I am. Some encouragement of who I am. And so he did. And Peter like, oh, I don't want this to end. Oh, I don't want this to end. Who is Jesus? He's none other than God himself. And he has to cover his power, his glory, or he consumes us. Right? And... Uh, in Luke, actually, in the Gospel of Luke, we find out that um, what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about, they were talking about Jesus's pending crucifixion, pending death. That's what they were talking about. But here we don't get that. We don't get the full story. I mean, we have what's needed. Um, so... So having achieved that, now God steps in, that, now God steps and in. then He terrifies them. And then He terrifies them. Uh, God, the Father speaks, God, the Father speaks, and they are just terrified. Are just you know, some people say, "Man, if God would only show up, man, if God would only show up, <laughs> if God was to show up, be everybody we dead. Everybody we dead. No, 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 no. Here He merely spoke, and look at what happens." Verse 5. While he was still speaking, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. To him. To him. Very important. Very important. Because who had shown up with Jesus? Moses. Moses. And Elijah, and Moses, Elijah. all the Mosaic law, all the Old Testament, basically. 
right? And then Elijah, as important, and as impressive, and as powerful as those prophets were, no more listen to Jesus. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new direction here. Listen to Jesus. He's my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Daniel chapter 7, just as a taste, Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And by the way, uh, you find out that the Bible is so integrated. The Old Testament and the New Testament are so integrated. It is amazing when you begin to understand this integration. The Bible does not contradict itself. When we see what seems to be a contradiction, note, I can assure you it's our lack of understanding. But I want you to note here in Daniel chapter 7, uh, of course, Daniel shows a lot of visions and of the future and so forth, right? Daniel chapter 7, uh, let's say starting in verse 8, Daniel 7 verse 8. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn. And this is just, again, the horns are kind of confusing unless you study them. It's about kingdoms and so forth. And a little one came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out of the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Um, I kept looking until... Thrones were set up. In the ancient of days, this is God the Father, ancient of days, took his seat. His vestiture was white as snow, and the hair of his uh, head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, utter complete holiness. Its wheel were a burning fire, a river of fire was flowing, and out and uh, coming out from before him, thousands upon thousands were attending him. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. Then I kept looking, because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. This horn, this evil kingdom, evil person. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominions were taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking. In other words, this is, this is a God revealing to Daniel what was going to take uh, place in the future. And all these false kingdoms were going to be judged and done away with and destroyed. I kept looking. In the night of vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven. Remember clouds in, in Matthew 7? Uh, Matthew 17? When God speaks out of the cloud, the clouds of heaven. One like the Son of Man was coming. So here's the Ancient of Days sitting, and he's out of a cloud, and there here comes this, this uh, Son of Man, this human being looking person. Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented to him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. This was the vision. So here's God the Father in absolute judgment and judging all the nations, and here comes the Son of Man, Jesus, and he's presented before the Father, and Jesus has the kingdom forever and ever and ever. This is the vision that the uh, disciples were getting when Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17. You see, Jesus was revealing, hey, you know, you've come to know me, but you need to know a little bit more about me. So he gives them a little taste, a little encouragement of who he really is, right? In John 17. And so God the Father shows up. This is my beloved son, and they are just terrified. I mean, if you can imagine Peter talking, talking, and James and John probably were telling, shut up! Shut up! Go down, man! Hit the floor! When God the Father said, this is my beloved son, boom, hit the floor. Because look what happens. I'm not making it up. Look right there. Verse 7, verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down. Face down. To the ground and were terrified. And were terrified. Man. Just a little, just a little glimpse. Of who Jesus really is. Of who Jesus really and is. And one little sentence from God. Hit the floor, man. We're dead. Hit the floor, man. We're dead. Hit the floor, man. We're dead. But that was the whole point. But that was the whole point. You need to know me. I am God. But I am God. But I have come. With mercy and grace. I have come with absolute gentleness. Because look at the next verse. What does Jesus do in verse 7? And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Turn over to John 1 again. John chapter 1. Again, this um, Jesus being God himself. Being God himself. Moses came with the law and the holiness of God and the wrath of God that's necessary to address sin. But Jesus came to take that wrath for us. And so in John 1, verse 16, for of his fullness, for of the fullness of Jesus, for of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace upon for the law for the law was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ you see that so while jesus gives them just a little glimpse and god says one word and they're terrified they fall on the ground jesus comes and says jesus comes and says it's okay it's okay you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid because I'm here. Because I'm here. I'm here. Even though I'm God. Even though I'm God. I'm here to protect you against the wrath of God. The wrath that justly can destroy you. 
understand. Get up, do not be afraid. Get up, do not be afraid. And they just saw Jesus by himself. They just saw Jesus without himself. Moses, without Elijah, without the voice, without Elijah, without the clouds. So, so they get this encouragement, they get this right, encouragement. Uh, from Jesus. Uh, from Jesus. And uh, you can imagine again, the disciples were like, "Wow, what was that?" That was supernatural. That was yes. But now, but uh, now, let us get back to reality, meaning the reality of this world. This other was real too, but we also need to deal with the physical, right? So now the disciples in verse nine, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them to uh, saying, "Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead." Because people are not ready. People are, have the wrong understanding of Messiah. They don't understand that Messiah has to die for their sins. They want to make me king without realizing that they need a savior of their soul to pay for their sins. They don't, they don't see that. All they see is, I'm going to deliver them from Rome. I'm going to give them all the goodies. I'm going to fill their bellies. They want to make me king because of that. So no, don't tell over the vision. Don't tell over the vision. Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. From the dead. From the dead. And so the disciples again just like. The disciples again just like. They should have said. They should have said. From the dead? You're going to die? What do you mean you're going to die? Why do you need to die? Oh, no. No, no. Oh, no. Wait, wait. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, you promised in the Old Testament that Elijah was going to come. And that's where they go. Wait a minute. Once Messiah is here, we're supposed to be like, hey, glory. We're at the top of the food chain. We're the Jews. We're, you know, what do you mean? It says in verse 10. And his disciples asked him, why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? This is Malachi 4. First, this is In the Old Testament. In Malachi, it says that Elijah would come before the before the Messiah, and then the Messiah would come. Well, they just concluded that he is Messiah, thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God, right? And he accepted that title because that's what he is. Wait a minute, you're Messiah, you're Messiah, uh, but wasn't Elijah was supposed to come first to all the nation? To all the nation. And what was what was Elijah supposed to do? Elijah, Elijah was supposed to restore relationships, of parents with children, and among the leaders. And that wasn't happening. That wasn't happening. That wasn't happening. So you know, we're confused. We're confused. Elijah's supposed to come, and he's supposed to restore relationships. Malachi chapter four. Malachi chapter four. And he said to them. Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. What? He already came. And they did not recognize him. But did to him whatever they wish. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands once again. Jesus tells him he's going to suffer, basically die. The passion of the Christ. The passion of the Christ. And then the disciples go back to, to, to John the Baptist. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, John the Baptist was Elijah. 
that you're going to die, they didn't even pursue that. They didn't even pursue that. They didn't even ask that. Is that not you and me? Is that not you and me? We read some things it's like, we read some things it's like, what's important? What's important? That I get what I want. That's what's important. Am I going to get what I want? That's what's really important. The disciples missed it. The disciples missed it. Then the disciples understood the that disciples he was spoke to them about John, them about John the Baptist. About John the Baptist. About John the Baptist. You see, that's why we have to go back again, go back again, go back again to the revelation of God. Because our own hearts and our own minds can't grasp it. We have to go back and say, Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Right? Again in John 1, again in John uh, 1, the Gospel of John in chapter 1, there, again, I see how it, it all correlates uh, so, so well. In uh, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 18. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. He has explained him. Has revealed him, meaning Jesus came and took on flesh to reveal the Father, to show the character of the Father. His holiness, his love, his mercy, his grace. Not just the Old Testament holiness and wrath, though that's part of God as well. And when Jesus comes back, he will show the wrath of God and the judgments of God. But Jesus came to reveal the Father. You see, and that's why we have to go back, go back, and ever keep learning, ever keep learning from the scriptures. To live life, to live life in a way that's honoring to God. That's spiritually effective. Not just financially effective. Not just socially effective. Not just in any way, other way effective. No, spiritually effective lives. For the kingdom of God. So... He showed them that he had to suffer and die. He had to, because he had to pay for our sins. Right? But they totally were missing that. So, what are some applications? If we know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he is God, and that we're supposed to be living for him because he is the ultimate, right? He is God. We're supposed to be living for him. So, here's the first application of this reality. That Jesus is God, he is Messiah. Keep doing what is Christ honoring in your life. Keep doing what is Christ honoring in your life. Even when you don't understand what he is presently allowing and doing. That's the point here. The disciples didn't know what Jesus was, all that he was doing. But they were being told, you need to trust me. I am the Almighty. And you don't understand everything. In fact, so much you're missing. Trust me and live in God-honoring ways. And that, that covers all of life, right? All of life. The way we speak. The way we dress. The way we spend our money. The way we relate to people. Everything about life. Everything. We can say, is this honoring God? Is this, honoring is this really showing the character, really of God? Showing the character of God? Right? So keep honoring God, Christ, in every way in your life. 
Even when you don't understand what he is doing, keep honoring him. That's application number one. Here's application number two. Here's application number two. Don't be overwhelmed, Don't be overwhelmed by your circumstances. By your circumstances. Or what we may be hearing. What we may be hearing. As to what is happening in the world. As to what is happening in Jesus, the world. Jesus, our Savior, has revealed that he is the prophet of prophets. God the Father, beloved God the Son, Father, beloved a gentle Son, shepherd. And today we're hearing so, so many things, right, that are just beyond our understanding, that sound like very, they're very alarming, very troublesome, from artificial intelligence to the geopolitical tensions that could lead to nuclear war, to the the mutilating of the sexual parts of young children, parts of young children to uh, name it, to just unbelievable it. Evil. Unbelievable. evil, 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 and we say, you know what? And we say, you know what? It can feel overwhelming, but Lord, overwhelming, but Jesus, Lord, you are the prophet Jesus, of prophets. You are the one that God himself put his seal on you. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Don't be overwhelmed. And Jesus, we find him as a gentle shepherd. Whenever we're wanting, we're needing him. We cried to him. We want to, Lord, I want to follow you, but I'm confused. Lord, I want to follow you, but I feel weak. Lord, I want to follow you, but I have failed. Jesus comes as a gentle shepherd. It's like, just turn to me. It's okay. I died for all of your sins. I love you. Just, just stay connected to me. Just keep learning of me. You see, because I am God Almighty. Then finally, here's the last application. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us not uh, lack confidence in the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose again from the dead. He conquered death. He conquered death. In the past several months, I've been involved in, I don't know how many funerals. I don't know how many funerals. My own brother. My own brother. Nancy's stepfather. Today, a dearly beloved sister. In Christ. Rhonda. I mean, others that I've participated in, been a part of funerals. And it's like, my goodness, my, my, the gospel is the sure hope, the only hope when people stop breathing. And we will all stop breathing one way or one day or another, right? And people are dying. And we need to have a solid, solid confidence in the gospel. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Um, in Hebrews chapter 2, I'll close with this and then open it up for your thoughts or questions. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Starting in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 5. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one, but one has testified somewhere saying, What is man? 
that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him. This is out of Psalm 8. You have made him that is man for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. Your hand, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subjected to him. But now, look at this, but now, but now we do not see all things subjected to him. So someone has said it is already not yet. There's a saying which is already and yet not yet. He's already, he's already Messiah. He already died, rose again from the dead. He conquered death itself. And yet still not all things subjected to him. Right? But we do not see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of the death crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That he might die the death that we deserve. A death of judgment from God. He died that death for us. So that we don't have to fear the judgment of God. And that is solid, solid biblical revelation. And that means we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. It's a sure hope for anyone who wants to believe in Jesus. And the gospel, listen to this. The gospel makes the difference between... Forever and ever and ever in condemnation, forever and ever, or forever and ever and ever in bliss with God. The gospel makes that difference. Forever in condemnation or hell, or forever in heaven. That's the power of the gospel. So when we share the gospel and people trust in the Lord Jesus, any individual that believes in Jesus Christ as a Savior, forever and ever in heaven. Forever and ever in heaven. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel. And Jesus revealed himself to the disciples in a glorious way, encouraging them. They were wanting to follow, even though they missed so much, even though they were confused so much at the time. But he encouraged them with this transfiguration. And for you and me, when we decide to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus as Savior, and then follow him, at times it's going to be confusing. But he will give you and me moments of great encouragement. So don't be overwhelmed. He is the prophet of prophets. He is the king. He has proven himself. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And you say, I'm not there, Reuben. That's okay. That's okay. God will take you exactly where you are. Maybe you're a baby in Christ. That's okay. Just be honest with him. Just be honest. Because that's that's all he wants. Just be honest with him. That's all he wants. Just be He'll honest. take you exactly where you are.